Okay, there we go. Thank you. This morning's message is entitled, How Lost is Lost. Think about that for a second. How lost is lost. Uh, Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 3. We're going to hit several passages of Scripture, but we're going to start here and then we're going to end up here. Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel is the prophet for Israel at this particular moment in time. And this is what Ezekiel says in the third chapter, beginning with verse 16. Now it came about at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, that would be Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, that's Ezekiel, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Hang on to that, would you? Ezekiel is the prophet of the day. And now, remember, we're dealing with the nation of Israel as a nation who is supposed to be God-minded. We're not dealing with heathen in that sense. Okay, we're talking about quote-unquote, church people. And in that context, God says to Ezekiel, I've got a job for you to do. What's that? I want you to be a watchman. One of the guys that stands on the wall and lets everybody know the enemy's coming and blows the trumpet and says, hey, we, we got a problem going here? He said, I want you to be a watchman, and here's what I want you to do. When you see, a Lyle, when you see Lyle messing up, I want you to go to Lyle and tell him. Lyle, stop messing up. Because if you don't stop messing up, you're going to die. If I don't tell Lyle that, God is saying to Ezekiel, and he dies while he's messing up, his blood's going to be on my hands. I don't want that. So you need to see the importance of what this scripture is saying, and then we'll come back to it in, in a few minutes, and we'll share some things about it. How lost is lost? In Romans chapter 9, and let me take you there. I've got so many markers in my Bible, I don't know what to do with them. In Romans chapter 9, Paul says something that's almost unbelievable. Verses 1, 2, and 3. Now, this is Paul, who now is a Christian. He writes the book of Romans. Remember who he was, and we'll get to that. This is the Christian, the born-again, Holy Ghost-filled Paul, saying in chapter 9, verse 1, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed 
separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. I don't like that. What is he saying? He's saying, all of my Hebrew friends who think they are smart, like I thought I was smart, are not serving Christ, they're not accepting Christ, I can't get them to turn, I wish I could do something. If I could die for them, Gary, if I could go to hell for them and get them saved, I'd be willing to do it. Now he knows he can't do that. I've got you to see his I've got you to get to see his heart. I've got you to understand why he is so upset. He knows how lost lost is. Paul has a burden for Israel. A real burden. I'm not so sure I'm willing to go to hell for anybody in this room. I love you guys, but you understand what he's trying to convey to us, don't you? This is a serious thing to Paul because Paul understands what lost is. I preached to you several months ago a message on Paul's trip to Damascus, Acts chapter 9. How God knocked him off his donkey and dropped him on the ground and made him blind and he went into Damascus and for three days and three nights he ate nothing, he fasted and prayed and Ananias came on the third day laid hands on him, he got his sight back, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit and he was changed. Paul was the most intelligent scholar of the Old Testament of that day. We're not talking about some kid that, you know, went to Sunday school once or twice and, oh, okay, I think I know the word. No, 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 no. We are talking about a theologian who did not believe that Jesus Christ was the son of the living God. And so he rejected it old principle, and because he rejected it, he had people killed. Yeah, yeah. I'm coming to get you, man. I know where you live, Jess. I know, man, you're, you're, you're done. Because you think Jesus Christ is up? No, no, no. I know better. And so I send people out to arrest and to kill. That's Paul. Paul, in chapter 7 of the book of Acts, <coughs> was there when Stephen, the new Christian, was stoned. And guess what? Paul stood there, and they all gave, them, gave him their coats so he could watch their coats while they picked up rocks and killed this man of God. And he stood there saying, yeah, that's good. That's good. Now, this same Paul is no longer the same in chapter 9 of the book of Romans. He is saying, no, I've got to figure out a way to stop that from happening anymore. I wish I could die for them so that they could go to heaven. Well, anybody here willing to go to hell for someone else? Of course not. That's not what God is asking for. That's not what God wants. What he wants is for us to understand our part in the winning of souls. How important that is. That we take it seriously. Uh, in chapter 3, verses 5 and 7, Jesus talks about being born again. You've you got to be born again. Uh, born of, of the water and the flesh, you've got to be born again. You've got to understand that this is a reality, uh, and it's not a joke. John chapter 3, uh, let me read it to you. Verses 5, 6, and 7 says this. Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh. We understand that. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. That, that's spiritual turnaround in your life. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. We know John 3.16. We learned that as kids. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Some of us forgot to, to learn John 3.17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have life. And then we fail. We fail on verse 18. And I can't quote it, so let me read it to you. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment. That the light is come into the world, that's Jesus, and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds are evil. How lost is lost? That's, that's the question. What are we feeling in our hearts when we look around and we see people who uh, don't know Jesus Christ at all? Do we hear their cry? It's an awesome cry. I'm, uh, I'm ministering these, these days Long distance. I'm not talking about Vegas and Overton. I'm ministering long distance, 2,500 miles over the phone. I get phone calls. Uncle Rudy, blah, 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 blah. I get a phone call from another one, Uncle Rudy. And so I find myself realizing that there's a need out there, and I am not there, Gary. But I am there. I'm very much there. Because they are looking to me to get some realization of what can happen in their life. How lost is lost? And do you care? Do you hear the cry? It's a cry. They're saying things and sometimes our ears are plugged and sometimes Satan loves to just throw earplugs in our ears because he'd like us to believe that lost is not too lost. So just leave them alone, okay? Well, Paul has a better plan than that. We find it in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. He and, and, and some buddies have gotten together, and they are fasting and praying, and they're ministering unto the Lord through fasting and praying. Isn't that novel? And I say this respectfully, really. I'm not here to judge anybody or spank anybody. When is the last time any of us got together to fast and pray unto the Lord. I don't know. When is the last time we thought it was necessary even to do that? And why might God think it's necessary for us to do that? But Paul and his buddies got together, they fasted and they prayed because they had a mission, they had a passion for Christ. Can I talk about passion for a moment? How many remember Mary and Martha and Lazarus? Let me see your hand. Okay, good. Jesus says 
to Gary, text Martha, would you, Gary? Tell her we're coming over for a late dinner to expect us, because I know she's, she's the greatest Italian cook in Bethany. Her pasta and meatballs? You can't believe it. How many know that? I've been here 10 months. You don't know that? Yep. All right. Okay. But Gary forgets to text. He's, he's stumbling with texting. And sure enough, Jesus shows up at Martha's house. And he knocks on the door and he says, Hey, Martha! And Martha goes, Oh my God. Thirteen of them. Thir- Martha, did you get the text from Gary? No, I did Oh, Martha, I'm sorry. But we're hungry. Can we come in and eat, honey? And Martha goes, oh, oh. She can do that. Take a look at her. Take a look at her. She knows how to do that. Am I right, Rick? Yep, okay. Careful, Rick, careful. The story goes <coughs> that they go into the house. Excuse me. <coughs> oh, man, I'm trying to stop it. <coughs> they go into the house. They all sit down. Jesus grabs the remote to the television and shuts it off. He doesn't want to see it. He sits down in that beautiful lounge chair that the motorized one and flips up. Martha goes into the kitchen. Lazarus is running around. And where's Mary? Martha's in the kitchen. What's Martha doing in the kitchen? She's cooking. Where is Mary? Sitting at Jesus' feet. Socially, that's a no-no. This is an unmarried woman sitting at the feet of an unmarried man. She doesn't belong there. But why is she there? Well, you're getting ahead of the story, but why is she there? She's worshiping, and she has a passion for the Word. Because the Bible says she's listening to the words of Jesus. Passion. She threw away the social custom, I don't belong kneeling in front of this guy. She threw that away. She threw away her sister, who was out in the kitchen cooking all that she can, all that Italian stuff, right? The meatballs and the clams and all. And she threw it all away so she could sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his words. That's passion. That's what Paul's talking about. Uh, How lost is lost? Do you have a passion that you're willing to throw away what seems to be the normal aspects of life and saying, I've got to find a way to touch my brother. I've got to find a way to touch my sister, my father, my brother. I've got to find a way. There's got to be passion in me that lets me go out and let them know I love them. Now, it wasn't that Mary didn't like Martha. It wasn't that Mary didn't want to help Martha. It was that Mary had something more important she felt she had to do. What's more important than telling someone how much God loves them? Huh? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And the, gen, the, the Jew wasn't picking up on that. That's why Paul was so upset in chapter 9. <clears throat> he needed to preach the gospel. He needed to turn his particular church on fire with the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Please, please. I did a message on chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And I said to you very, very clearly 
that Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He did not say, you shall receive power, and then you'll go to your church, and you'll upset the ministry by sharing the message in tongues. He did not say that. Am I telling the truth? Do I believe in the gifts of the Spirit? You bet I do. And there's a place for them. But understand the power of the Holy Spirit and what it is for. It is to give you and me strength to go out and say to my brother Lyle, I've known you for several years, and I'm really concerned, Lyle. He's, what are you concerned about, Rudy? Well, Lyle, what's your relationship with Jesus? Well, I don't know. That's my point of contact with Lyle. Or Lyle may come knocking on my door someday and say, Rudy, yeah, I don't know what's wrong, Rudy. Well, tell me, Lyle. Well, I, I'm struggling with my family. My wife doesn't love me anymore. We know that. <laughs> and I say to him, Lyle, can we sit down? Can we talk? Can we pray together? Hello? Do you understand this business of sharing Christ with others so that they have the same joy that you and I have knowing him as our personal Savior? If you believe it, say amen. Okay? He's not ashamed. Paul's not ashamed. And we need to be a church on fire. New hope. That's what I'm looking for in this church. You know that by now. Ten months in? New hope. I said to you several months ago that new hope needs to be the Elisha church. Elisha took the double portion of the spirit from Elijah so that this valley will know new hope is here. New hope needs to be the church that's on fire with a ministry of reaching out and touching people and saying, Jesus loves you just like you are. Well, I'm pretty dirty, Pastor. I know. Because I've been there too. You mean, yeah, he loves you. All you have to do is ask him to forgive you, and it comes. That's the miracle of God. How lost is lost? In Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 19, Paul saw what we know to be a lost girl. Now, this girl has a She's possessed by a demonic spirit in chapter 16. And in chapter 16, Paul and his associates are running around ministering. And this girl is chasing after them. And while Paul and his associates are running around ministering, this girl is saying, see these men? See, these are men of God. These are men of the Lord Jesus. She is, you would think she's praising them. She's not. She's mocking them. She has a spirit uh, a satanic spirit in her and she is mocking the man of God and his followers after a couple of days Paul says enough is enough and so Paul begins to invade Satan's territory but not without the power of God and that's what we need to understand what's out there folks your friends, your family we're living in a crazy crazy day and Vanette was right when she said, we've always had evil, but never, never have we said it, had it so that we see it with our own eyes. We now see the evil that's been here for a long time. So let's not fool around. Let's understand that if we're going to minister to people, we have to come in the name of Jesus. 
We have to come with the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit on our head. We have to know that we're dealing with some spirits. And we have to know that we are children of the living God who can say to this one or that one, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I am a child of God. I am one that has been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. He lives within my heart and you've got a problem and I want to pray with you and knock that spirit out of your life. That's Paul. Is that new hope? You don't mess with the devil. You need to know who you are. I'm serious. You need to know that Christ lives in you. We read some things in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, some unbelievable miracles, Gary. I don't understand them. And I'd like to think I know a little bit about the Bible. But three Hebrew boys won't bow down and worship the idol. And Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm sorry, I'm going to kick you in the furnace. They said, okay. Hold say okay. They said to him, it doesn't matter. Because the God we love, if he doesn't save us, that's okay. And if he saves us, that's okay too. Are you okay with knowing that you have been washed in the blood of Jesus? Are you okay to the point where you're willing to jump in the furnace? Because that's what's out there. They didn't want to jump in the furnace. They didn't ask for that. But they said, here we are. We are children of God. And he knows that. We're going to have to trust him. You know the story. The soldiers throw them in. They, they turn the heat up seven times more than it was supposed to be. And the soldiers that threw in the three kids that were bound up with ropes threw them in. The soldiers died. It was too hot for them to get near the, to get near the door. The kids jump in. Dancing around. Not a better place to dance than in the furnace, is there? I said, he was trying to dance this morning with his wife. I saw it over here, right in this corner. The ropes burned off, but the clothes didn't. And the, and the old stupid Nebuchadnezzar looked in and said, I only threw three kids in there. Who's the fourth guy? People need to look at you and me and say, I know who you are, Rick, but, but who's that fourth guy running around with you? And Rick could say, that's Jesus. He came into my life when I was in the furnace. And he saved me from the flames. He took me out of there. He made me a new creature. How lost is lost? Back in Ezekiel, I read to you where we started. This watchman business. Watchman. No. <clears throat> this valley is not the nation of Israel. We know that. And no, God has not called you to grab your Bible and go hit people over the head with it. You are going to hell. Let me tell you, right. if you don't change right now, I'm going to hit you over the head. That's not what Paul's, uh, God's talking about. Now, the watchman had a job. He was to protect the nation. But we have a job too, and that is to reach out to that person who desperately needs God and to let them know we're here for them, to let them know we're not afraid. And so the watchman has a job to do. New hope, I've said this from day one, we have a job to do in this community. Thank you. Thank you. Wake up. 
We have a job to do. We hear, we warn with love. You don't knock on your neighbor's door and say, look man, how many times have I got to tell you, you're going to hell? That's not being a watchman. You're just a ornery idiot. Because your neighbor's not interested in you walking into his door with that attitude. But your neighbor is interested in how you live. And let me tell you something, your neighbor sees how you live. He watches you. He is aware of how you treat your husband or wife. He is aware of how you treat your children. He is aware of the restrictions you put on your family so that they're safe. And his kids are going all over and he doesn't know where they are. He's aware of those things. And one of these days, and you knock gently, you might, you might hear the knock on your door. And your neighbor is going to say, Jace, can I talk to you for a minute? Well, sure, come on in. What's going on? Man, I don't know. I see how you got your family together. I haven't heard from my kids in hours. I don't know where they are, Jason. Sit down. Let's talk. That's watchmen. No bat in your hand. No Bible in your hand. I think I mentioned this several months ago. Uh, I won't tell you the denomination. It's a big denomination, but there's a lot of spurts off of this denomination. But these high school students out of this particular church would stand where the school buses came to drop off kids to go to school. Remember, did I tell you this story? I think I did. And the kids would get off of the bus, and these kids from this specific church would stand on the corner with their Bibles in their hands, and you're going to hell unless you accept Jesus Christ. Come to our church. You're going to... You don't... That's not evangelism. You're just pushing people away from you. That's not being a watchman. How about, you go to Bi- How about you go to school with your Bible in your heart and it shows through your lifestyle and that guy that's crazy uh, and he's on the same football team with you begins to look at you and says, Gary, I, I don't understand some things. You seem to be different than the rest of us. Why is that? Wow, did I just open a door for you to tell somebody about Jesus? This valley is not looking for Bible thumpers. This valley is looking for brothers and sisters who come together with love and say, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I take you back to Genesis for just a minute? God has called Noah to build an ark. 400 cubits long. Anybody know how much that is in feet? A cubit is a foot and a half. 600, 400 times 600 feet. 600 feet long. 70, I think 75 cubits wide. That's about 104 or whatever. Several stories. And the, the um, theologians considered that it took him somewhere between 70 and 100 years to build this ark. Okay. You're building the ark because I've been picking on you. I might as well keep picking on you. You're Noah. And I walk by every day and I see you doing these crazy, stupid things. And I go, stupid, stupid Gary. There he goes with another piece of wood. What are you doing with that? Oh, I'm just building it. You're building an ark. Yeah, because it's going to, it's going to, it doesn't rain here, Gary. What's wrong with you? For 70 years or more, I have been bugging him, making fun of him, 
saying all kinds of nasties about it. My family and all my friends, because we walk on by in 70 years, how many times have I just looked at you and laughed and called you idiot and all the other kinds of things? But one of those days, you stopped building. And I noticed that you stopped, and there's this doorway open. And I keep coming by, you know, I'm on my Harley, and I ride by every day, and I see animals coming into your boat. And I'm scratching my head, and I'm saying, what's going on with the animals? Well, God's getting ready to pour out the, oh, you're stupid. For somewhere close to a hundred years, I have tortured this man with my taunts of how crazy he is for doing what he's doing. And then one day I see the last of the animals going in, and I see Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives being pushed in by Noah and Mama. They're in. And all of a sudden, the door is closed. I don't see Gary. Gary's up on top of the deck, and I'm going, Hey, Gary, how you doing? When's it going to rain, Gary? Any day now. Yeah, sure. What a mess. And all of a sudden, the rains come. They don't stop. And I'm riding around in my Harley, and I'm coming up to, to the ark, and I'm going, Noah, please, open the door. Please. Oh, I'm sorry. I picked it. I'm sorry. I said, please, forgive me. Please, just open the door. I'm sorry. It's too late. Because he didn't shut the door. God did. How lost is lost? All those people that watched you build that boat with your family laughed at you, ridiculed you. All of a sudden, they want to get on board. And it's too late because you can't let them in. It's over with. They've lost it together. Well, several years ago, back in the 1800s, this vision for lost people came through prayer and concern. The story goes about Williams College in Massachusetts. These young Christians started an intercessory prayer meeting for the heathen world, and it sparked the American Missionary Society movement. Young people, most of you in here are not old people, really. You are of the younger generation, and that's good. We need a spark, you hope. We need some of our young people, and we've got some good ones around here that are really grabbing hold of the ball and the bat and saying, we can do this. We need the spark because this valley needs to see this church as their refuge because those doors are still open. They need to know they can come through those doors and sit down and no one's going to ridicule them, no one's going to laugh at them, no one's going to point the finger and say, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. They're going to walk in and you're going to embrace them and they're going to feel your love and the mercy that you have for him. Young people become a spark. New hope needs to become a spark. Jesus said in Luke chapter 13 on Palm Sunday, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have loved to gather you under my wings as a mother hen does her little chicks, but you wouldn't let me. How lost is lost? It's our choice to be lost. Just like it's our choice not to be lost. We made that choice. Thank God we made it. 
Thank God this 16-year-old fell on his face at an altar and said, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. My wife was there that night. Some of our friends were there that night when I gave my life to Jesus many, many years ago. I was 16. 16. 61 years ago. When did you give your life to Jesus? How much more death, how much more garbage, how much more agony do we need to see before we say that's enough? Lost is lost. How many more families have to be swallowed up with drugs or crime? This last week, every day I, I, I go through my news on the phone and somebody's dying in Vegas, every day. Last night, two, two, two or three people were killed on, is it 25 that goes around? Yeah, 25 goes around. Uh, last, I think it was last Monday, I was reading the news on my phone and this family, were in a, they were in a motel room. Evidently that little motel room had a kitchen and the family was there, a young, young teenage boy was there and his older brother came in with a gun and shot his brother dead. How much more do we need to see before we say, that's enough? How much more of your extended family do you need to see going downhill, abuse, problems? Young and old, it's not just the young. Young and old. Before we recognize lost, is lost. How many more experiences must you have as a husband if your wife doesn't know Jesus? I love these holidays, but I love to stick things in that actually belong in the holidays. That's why Jesus came. So we would get out from under that lost category and be part of the found category. That's new hope. That's our mission. That's why we're here. That's why we're going forward day after day after day after day. Are you burdened for the lost? Jesus said, we must be lost again. We must be born again. Let me close. The church must not only commit to the lost, we must connect with the lost. See, if, if I don't stop by and say, hey, Jace, how you doing, man? If I never do that, I have no connection. The place where you pump your gas, I'm sure you know the guy that owns the place. Whatever his name is. Hey, how you doing? Okay. How's your wife? Eh, your kid? I don't know where they are. Hello? Don't bring your Bible and hit him over the head. Just share with him. Share with him what Jesus did for you. The best story that you can tell someone who does not know Jesus is your story. What were you like before you knew Jesus Christ as your Savior? Some of you have some horrendous stories. Some of you have some moderate stories. Some of your stories are, well, well, you know, okay. I wasn't a bad kid. I didn't mess around with gangs. I didn't mess around with drugs. I wasn't a drinker. I didn't rob anybody. I didn't have 7-Elevens. I guess I couldn't rob a 7-Eleven. But you, but you have a story. You had a place where you were, and God brought you out of that place. Your story is important to your neighbor. Not my story, yours. Because he knows you. Okay? Tell them how God forgives. Tell them what you were like. Tell them how you acted. Does anybody know who Mike Lindell is? Mike Lindell. One. Two. Mike Lindell. Three. 
My pillow man. Do you know who Mike Lindell was? Mike Lindell was a heroin addict. Mike Lindell used and sold. He was down in the depths of the pits of hell until Jesus grabbed a hold of him, got him out of that entire mess that he was in as a druggie, saved him, baptized him in the Holy Spirit, and today he's the CEO and president of My Pillow and has at least, I think that was 2,500 families working for him. Hello, does he have a story? Well, you don't have to be Mike Lindell and, and on heroin and all, but you have a story. He stands in front of a TV screen with a microphone. He'll tell you what he was like. And you know what he's doing today. He's fighting like, like the Dickens to bring back the Trump era. And he's got all the evidences of all the garbage that went on. And one of these days, and some of these prophetic voices are saying, this Passover season may be the season where we see God just go boom like that. And all of it is exposed. That's Michael Lindell, a druggie. Not any longer. How many know who Dog the Bounty Hunter is? Oh, more of you. He knocked at your door, you know who he is, right? Okay. <laughs> I was watching Christian Channel the other, last, last Tuesday. And we're watching Flashpoint, which is a Christian program. And they have some prophetic voices on. And guess who was on the program? Dog the Bounty Hunter. I'm going, whoa. Dog found Jesus Christ as his Savior. Dog and his wife baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he says, I got a guy that wants to kill me. He was talking to, to, the, to, the guy, to the coordinator of the program. He says, why? He says, because since I talked to him and brought him to Jesus Christ, he's not using drugs anymore, and he doesn't know what's going on. He's got a different lifestyle. He doesn't know whether he wants to kiss me to What's your story? It's not their story, but you have a story. Because you went through some things. You struggled with something. I know you did. Don't tell me what it was. I don't need to know. You know what it is. And when you run into that guy at the grocery store who puts the groceries in the bag for you, and he looks at you and you look at him and you say, Hey, man, I, uh, uh, you got a story to tell. It's that simple. Don't make it more. Don't preach. Leave that to me. Let me slap you upside of the head. Don't do that to your friends. Please. But tell your story. Because your story is exactly what that friend needs to hear. He doesn't need to hear mine. doesn't need to hear yours. That's that specific moment where the Holy Spirit opens that door for you and you say, let me talk to you. I got a text during the week from this long-distance ministry that I'm dealing with. And I won't tell you the situation. It's not important. But you, uh, I, I spent, I was up that night before I got the text. That night I was up 3 o'clock in the morning, could not sleep and praying for this particular individual 2,500 miles away. That night. That morning, next morning, I look at my phone and here's a text. He said, please read this. I read it. After I read it, I called him back on the phone. We were on the phone for one hour. Long distance ministry. And he's listening. He's listening. If I told you what he's been involved in, you'd go, he's worthless. Really? Really? 
wow, I didn't know you had that yardstick in your hand that God gave you, that you could say, you're worthless, you're not worthless, you're worthless, you're not. I didn't know God gave you that yardstick. Does Mike Lindell know what lost is? Does Dog the Bounty Hunter know what lost is? Do we know New Hope? Do we know how lost lost is? And are we willing as a church family, as a family, come together and pray? I can't be with you. I'm sorry. I, I really, you know how I feel. You, you, uh, we've said it long, many, many times. We know you love us. You know we love you. I can't be here. And next week will be my last. And it needs to be. And we're praying for God to bring in the right family to this church to be the pastor of it. They're somewhere and God knows where they are. Maybe we could do, do some fasting and praying as a church family. Maybe we could come together. I know it. I know you all got things to do. I know it. How about dropping one or, one or two of those things and getting to... How about... Five minutes. You got five minutes between now and next Sunday per day, just by yourself. Maybe you and your wife, if you want to do that, or by yourself is fine. You got five minutes to give to God and say, God, I want to pray for new hope. I want to pray for the right pastor. I want to pray for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want to pray that this valley begins to see that new hope loves them and is willing to embrace them. How about five minutes? Do you have five minutes a day for the next the next day, is that when I come to see you Sunday, we'll see what God's doing. Amen? God bless you. How lost is lost?